Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. We finished going through the Bible, the book, the book. And we have about three or four weeks before we emphasize Christmas and talk about Jesus coming to the earth. And then we'll have the new year. And so for the next three weeks, I want to do something that I've done five or six years ago for several reasons. We have a lot of new members. We have a lot of new members. In fact, I won't ask you to raise your hand, but I would dare say uh, a, a large group have joined within the last five or six years right here. And I also know that you don't even remember what I preached last week, <laughs> much less five or six years ago. So it doesn't hurt to be reminded from time to time, does it? We're going to talk about what it means to be a church for a couple of weeks here. What is a church? What are we about? What are the core values of our church and what we do here and how we function as a church? The things that we do are not by accident. They're based on the scripture. In fact, if you'll turn to Acts chapter 2, you're going to find the DNA of a church. What we base the things we do, much of it comes from right here. Now, the acrostic basics is not original with me. I borrowed it, and I don't mind telling you I did. But the rest of it is ori not original, but is my own writing. But I did borrow the basics part of it because I thought it was good, and it'll help you remember what we're about. And you find the basics right here. Now, today we're just going to talk about the B and the A. And next Sunday, the S and the I, and the next Sunday, the C and the S. So that means three Sundays, right? Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the church and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. I can remember my first church as a pastor was First Baptist Church of Strong, Arkansas, S-T-R-O-N-G, Strong, Arkansas. 786 people in the town, in the deep piney woods of South Arkansas. They pump daylight in there once a week. <laughs> I can also remember going to some private cemeteries and many of those private cemeteries were in the deep woods, and they were just dirt roads leading to them, no markers at all. And one particular day, the funeral director told me he was shorthanded, and 
I needed to lead the procession to the funeral, to the grave, to the cemetery. And I'd never been to the cemetery. And I'm going through the deep woods, and I come to a place where there are six dirt roads that intersect, none of them marked. And I said, Lord, please let me pick the right one because I got all these people following me in this procession. Well, to let you know that, and I did pick the right one, by the way, so we didn't have to turn around. But to let you know, sometimes young pastors can get into an issue. One young pastor just started this church in Iowa. He was contacted by the local funeral director if he would come hold a graveside committal service. He said, no one's going to be there. This person had no family, no living relatives. It's just me, the funeral director said. Would you come at least say a few words over the grave before we, we bury this person? And he said he would. Well, he started early to get to the cemetery, but he got lost. And I can relate to that, trust me. And finally, when he finally got there, he was 30 to 45 minutes late, and there was no hearse there, only an open grave and a couple of workers sitting over here under the shade tree eating lunch. Well, he thought, well, I'm here. I'm still going to go over there and say a few words and pray. So when he got over there and looked in the open grave, well, that vault lid was already in place. And so he took out his Bible and he read a couple of scriptures and he prayed and he went back and got in his car. And while he was driving off, one of those workers over there under the tree said to the other one, maybe we should have told him that is a septic tank. <laughs> Some people have no idea what a church is supposed to be. What is a danger facing a church? Now, obviously, we're battling the forces of darkness and principalities, the world, the flesh, the devil. We're facing increasing moral breakdown in our society. But you know, the greatest threat to a church is when it quits becoming a church. Now, you can still have the building, and you can still have meetings, but you quit becoming a church. You have all kinds of activities. You have other things going on, but you forget what you're about. And so every now and then, I think it's good for us to be reminded of what we are and how we function and what we're about. It's Acts 2, you find the DNA of the New Testament church. After the day of Pentecost, the DNA of the New Testament church. And so we're going to look at the first two letters of the word basics. The first one is Bible study, the church in small groups. Now, in verse 46, we're told that they met in the temple courts, and there's a bunch of them, and we'll talk about that in just a second. But you also find them meeting in the homes. They broke bread together in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So, in reality, the New Testament example is that every believer should have a large group setting and a small group setting. There's something about being in a small group. Now, we call those Sunday school classes or life groups, which stands for love, instruction, fellowship, and evangelism. It, it's a smaller group. And, and folks, just, let's just face it. Our church has grown to a tremendous size 
Now, in our church, we have smaller groups. Now, our small groups are still large, <laughs> but they're smaller than this. Sunday school originated a couple of hundred years ago when a man by the name of Robert Rakes offered some literacy classes to children who were having to work six days a week. They weren't able to go to school. They weren't allowed to go to school. And so on, they, on the Sunday, they would then meet, and he would teach them to read. Now, he was a Christian, and he was an evangelical, and he would read the Bible to them and all. And, and later, it developed into what we call Sunday school. And a lot of people think Sunday school is for children. But in reality, it's for all of us. Because if you're ever going to feel like you're a part of this congregation, you're going to need a smaller group setting or you're not going to know anybody. Now, what does a, what does a Sunday school class do? Let me mention three things. First of all, it's a place for preparing. We teach the Word of God. Verse 46 says they can, they, um, or actually verse 42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. They didn't have the New Testament, hadn't been written yet. They had the Old Testament. They had the Jewish scriptures, what we call the Old Testament. And they listened to Peter, James, and John, and any other apostle that would teach because they wanted to know what the doctrine was. They wanted to know what the Holy Spirit had spoken to them. And so they followed that teaching. Bible study. We believe here that the Bible is God's written word for us. It is relevant it's absolutely true, and when the Bible is read, God speaks. When the Bible is preached, God speaks. When the Bible is taught, God uses it through his spirit to touch lives of people. We believe studying the Bible prepares us for our daily lives. It's been a few years since they did this survey, but Barna Group reported that 74% of Americans believe that there is only one true God who is holy and perfect, who created the world and rules it today. But when they were asked, is there any such thing as absolute truth? 65% said no. Now we're in trouble because we live in a culture where people want to believe in God, but they don't believe or they don't know what the Bible has to say. And it's because they're not being taught. Now you folks... If you're in a Sunday school class, your teacher's studying and teaching you the scripture. We do our best in the worship time to worship him in truth, to teach you the word of God. You don't care about my opinion. You want to know what God's word has to say and what God's word means to you and me. The church is one that upholds the word of God. There are churches and I use that term loosely today, who meet, that won't even open the Bible, much less teach from it. Kind of reminds me of a, a man who was intoxicated. He was on his hands and knees underneath a street lamp searching the sidewalk. And a friend came by and said, Sam, what in the world are you doing out here on your hands and knees? And he said, I'm hunting my house key. I lost my house key. And the friend got down on his hands and knees and said, well, well, show me where you lost it and I'll help you find it. He said, well, I lost it well over there in the grass. <laughs> he said, well, why are you over here in the, on the sidewalk looking for it? He said, because this is where the light is. <laughs> well, people are going to come to the church because this is where the light is supposed to be. 
the light of God's word, the light of the world, Jesus Christ. Good Bible study will make you a better husband. It'll make you a better wife or a better employee or a better boss or a better citizen. I don't know who made it this acrostic, but the word Bible, B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth. Teach you how to get to heaven. It'll teach you who the Savior of the world is. It'll give you hope and assurance and guidance and promises. It's a place for preparing. That small group is also a place for sharing. We fellowship with people of God. Here it says they had all things in common. They met together daily in one accord. If the only thing that ever happens in your small group is simply a Bible lesson, then it's deficient because there's supposed to be a place to fellowship. Statistics will show you that the average person only knows by name about 60 people in their church. Now, I know there are exceptions to that. But about 60 people is who you're going to know by name. Now, if you're in a church that runs 60 or 70, you're going to know most everybody. In a smaller church, most everyone knows each other, partly because most everybody's kin to one another. <laughs> Depends on the community. And there's nothing wrong with a small church. I'm not, I'm not belittling it unless they've just decided that's all they're going to be is a small church. They're not trying to reach people for Christ. But when you... But the model Acts 2 fits what's often called a mega church because you're going to see in a moment when, you, when they met in the temple, there were 3,000 there. And by chapter 10, they've added 5,000 more. So how are you going to fellowship in a group that big? When you come in here, you may shake a few hands. You may ask somebody to get out of your chair. And you may also... <laughs> you better not ask somebody to get out of your chair. Oh, we're going to have fellowship outside. <laughs> you know I'm joking with you. You're just not going to meet many people in here. You're going to, if you sit in the same area all the time, and most of you do, you may know a few people around you, but you really don't have time to fellowship. What is fellowship? It's two fellows in the same ship. It means to share. Koinonia means to share. It's a small group Bible study. It's a perfect setting for sharing your name. Not everybody's going to know your name, but in that smaller group, and our small groups are large because of the size of our church, but they're going to know your name. They're going to know about you. You're going to know their name. You're going to know about them. It's a place where somebody knows your name. Chuck Swindoll, one of my favorite preachers and one of my favorite writers for a long time, talked about in one of his books, an old Marine buddy that when he was in the Marines and he said, this Marine buddy didn't have any time for God. In fact, his words, he said, he cursed loudly, drank heavily, fought hard, chased women, loved weapons and hated chapel service. And he said, he and God were not on speaking terms. But then one day they ran into each other after they were discharged many years later. And this fellow had become a Christian. And they got to talking about their salvation and how Jesus had changed their life. But this conversation turned to one where this fellow put his hand on Chuck Swindoll and he said, Chuck, the, the only thing I miss is that old fellowship all the guys in our outfit used to have down at the slop chute, as he called it, which was a, another word for tavern. 
He said, man, we sit around, laugh, tell stories, really let our hair down. It was great. I just haven't found anything to take the place of that great time we used to enjoy. I ain't got nobody to share my thoughts to. I, I don't have anybody to put their arms around me and tell him I'm still okay. You know, it's sad when there's more fellowship in a tavern than there is in a church. But one of the places you're going to have that fellowship is in a smaller group. You weren't intended to be lost in the crowd. I, I give people uh, the, the little schedules. When we have guests that come, one of the things I give them is a schedule of the small group, the fellowship, the Sunday school classes, because I always, I'm afraid in a church this size, you can just get lost in the crowd. You slip through the cracks. One of the best synonyms for fellowship is friendship. Now, you can have friends and not have Christian fellowship because they're not Christians. But I can tell you this, if you have Christian fellowship, there's going to be some friendships develop out of that because you have a common bond. Fellowship is when you stand around before the class starts and you drink coffee and you, you just visit and it continues beyond the class and goes into the homes. If you look again at verse 46, it says, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. One thing I can promise you that people in this church like to do is eat. <laughs> Baptists have more eating meetings than any group I know of. If you feed them, they will come. <laughs> it's an old story, but it's still one of my favorite teacher in school. Wanted the students to be prepared to discuss their religious backgrounds at school. And she said, you come tomorrow, you bring a symbol, a religious symbol. A little boy came in and said, my name is Benjamin. I'm Jewish. This is a star of David. Another boy said, my name is John. I'm Catholic. This is a crucifix. Third boy said, my name is Stephen. My dad's a Baptist preacher. This is a casserole. <laughs> Eating together. Being a fellowship. Part of it. That's part of it. You've all heard that hymn, the old hymn John Fawcett wrote, blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. But I bet you've never heard the third verse. We share our mutual woes, our mutual burdens bear, and often for each other flows the sympathizing tear. We need each other. There's a third purpose for small group, and it's a place for caring. They gave to everyone who had needs, verse 45 says. That means they knew the needs of their members, and they met the needs of their members. Everyone has needs. Everybody has some concerns, but if you're not in a small group, chances are our church won't even know about your needs unless you tell us. I'm going to tell you, I mentioned earlier that we've had a lot of funerals in the last, actually, months, a few months. I've been in homes where the people have been in Sunday school classes, Bible study groups, small groups. And I've been in those that didn't have that. And let me tell you, there's a marked difference in the ministry that goes on. We were up here Thursday night for that men's long shot meeting 
And I noticed a group down the hall, there was a Sunday school class, providing a meal for Fred Steck's family. And Fred and Jody had moved off four months ago, but they came back for Fred's service on Friday. And that Sunday school class is ministering to them even though they're already gone. I'm here to tell you, I, when we get word that somebody's died, our first question is, are they in a Sunday school group? Because if they say yes, I'm immediately at ease thinking, I already know they're being ministered to. They come when you're in the hospital. They, they pray for you. They rejoice when you rejoice, especially at times of sorrow. Are they there? I'm, I'm here to tell you, it is a blessing as a pastor to see these smaller churches function. We're like a mall with a lot of little churches in it. That's what we are. And the bigger we are, the smaller we have to be in order to take care of people. Amen? It's the ministry arm of our church. We care for one another. In 1988, in the Winter Olympics, Dan Jansen, speed skater, was favored to win the gold medal. But right before his first race, Dan received word that his sister had passed away with a long bout of leukemia. And bearing the weight of his sorrow, he laced his skates to win for his sister. On the first turn, he lost his balance and fell, causing him to lose the race. Four days later, in the 1,000-meter race, he fell again. And the whole country mourned over Dan Jensen's failures. According to Sports Illustrated, Dan received many letters of consolation. One letter among them was remarkable. It was from Mark Arrowwood, a 30-year-old mentally disabled man from Doylestown, Pennsylvania. And Mark wrote these words, Dear Dan, I watched you on TV. I'm sorry you failed two times. I'm in the Special Olympics seven years ago, right after my dad died. I won a gold medal in the Pennsylvania State Special Olympics. Before we start each race, our teachers tell us to say, let me win, but if I can't, let me be brave in the attempt. I want to share my gold medal with you because I don't like to see you not get one. Try again next time. And inside the envelope... Dan found the gold medal Mark had won in that track and field event. Now, that is an example of what would happen in a, in a Sunday school group, a small group, Bible study. You teach the Word of God, you fellowship, and you care for one another. You're missing a blessing if you're not in one. Hardest part's going to the first one. They'll be nice to you, I promise you. But I'll tell you something else. They need you in there because you'll be a blessing to them too. Now, the second core value is the other meeting. We call it adoration or the church gathered to worship. You need both a small group and a large group because they do different things. In this group, you can't really fellowship together. I mean, we see each other in the hall and pat each other on the back and shake a few hands, but it's not really deep fellowship. It's not really getting to know somebody. And here, you're just worried about not getting trampled when you leave because everybody, we got another group coming in, and God just keeps sending people here. 
But there are three elements that happen when we worship together. The first one is togetherness. We are here. I commend you for being here today. The word together appears three times in these five verses. They met together. They ate together. It's a, you know, there's something about private worship. You're going to have some time alone with the Lord. But when you come together with others who love the Lord and who have a common spirit with you and can sing and praise, doesn't it lift you a little bit? Few of you, maybe. I'm always encouraged. Y'all remember last year when we were shut down for five or six weeks and we decided that's not going to work. I remember the day that people began to walk back in to be together. We all had tears in our eyes, didn't we? Why? Because there's something about being together. They gathered together. There are no lone range Christians. Listen to Psalm 34, 1 and 2 and see if you hear both sides. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. My soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. There's something about just showing up for worship. Hebrews 10.25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. A lot of people forsake it. I'm not talking about people who physically can't come. I'm not talking about when you're out of town. Obviously, we're not legalistic like that. But there's a lot of people that don't come, but just simply because they don't want to. Or they got some pitiful excuse. It's a selfish reason because they think, well, I don't get anything out of it. Have you ever thought about giving something in it? By you being here, just being together? You ever heard anybody say, well, I, you know, going to church doesn't make you a Christian? No, it doesn't. But I can tell you this. When you become a Christian and you love Jesus, according to the scripture, you want to be part of a group of believers. You don't isolate yourself. Yeah, the church got problems. Church, you know why? You know why all churches have problems? Because they're just crawling with sinners. <laughs> wall to wall, wall to wall. This place is wall to wall with sinful people. Up on the stage too. Just forgiven. Whatever your excuse is, let me tell you something. You can't grow in the Lord. You keep forsaking meeting together. Now, listen, I know online is good. I'm not fussing at you if you're online. I'm not fussing at you, but I'm going to tell you, there's nothing like being in here. Well, especially when you sing together and you, the choir and orchestra leads us and they sing and we sing. And, and, and you ever had one of those moments, we have them just about every week when God just comes down and touches your heart and maybe there's tears in your eyes or maybe you get chills on you and then you go try to explain it to somebody. It just doesn't work. You try to say, oh, you just wouldn't believe that you just wouldn't believe it. And then they're going, yeah, 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 yeah. If they'd been here, they would have known. 
The second element, not only togetherness, but awesomeness. How's that for a word? God is here. It says in verse 43, everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. Before you can truly worship, you have to acknowledge the presence of God in this place. Listen, I know he doesn't live in this building. But when God's people walk in this building, he lives in the building because he dwells in us. The reason we gather together is not to just sing songs and hear a sermon. We gather to worship him. The word worship is the shortened form of the old word, worth, W-O-R-T-H, ship, worth, ship, which means that God is worth honoring. God is worth praising. God is here. I know he lives in you. They'll say, well, God's here. He's here in my home. He lives in me. No, yeah, he does. He lives in you. But it's nothing like when God's people gather together. A.W. Tozer wrote it this way about this holy awe that should be in our worship service. He said, I'm not talking about the solemn attitude that pervades many churches today. In some churches, they have the idea that if you create an atmosphere more like a funeral service, you're reverencing God. That is not what being filled with awe in God's presence is about. As a matter of fact, there have been times when people were so overcome by God's holiness and their their lack of holiness, they fell to the floor under the conviction, under the burden of their sin, weeping and wailing. Being filled with awe can be loud sometimes. You're filled with awe when you've transcended your earthly view and caught a glimpse of the eternal glory of the living God. Like Isaiah in the temple, when we see the Lord high and lifted up, we fall at his feet in humble repentance and surrender. Louis XIV of France came with his royal party to church one Sunday. No one was there except the archbishop. And the king said, where is everybody? Why isn't anyone else present this morning? And the archbishop said, well, I announced that your majesty would not be here today because I wanted you to see who came to the service just to flatter you and who came to worship God. Well, I don't know of any dignitaries that come here every week unless you're undercover. But a lot of people can come to church for the wrong reasons. I'm going to confess to you that sometimes when I wake up at 5.30 on Sunday morning, When I first get out of bed, I don't want to come. I have to throw a little water on me first. You're not always going to feel like coming. But why do we come? Because God's here. And I want to be with God's people. And I want my spirit to be lifted with God's people. The third element is celebration. Let's praise him. Verse 47 says they're constantly praising God. When you sense the presence of Jesus, your first impression 
is to fall before him in awe, but the next step is to rise up and to praise him. It means to celebrate him. One of these days, I'm going to have a hidden camera and I'm going to have a picture of every one of you individually taken and I'm going to mail it to you. And you're going to see it. This is you during the music. I don't know where some men have gotten the idea that you can't sing. That somehow you check your manhood at the door if you sing. If I read my Bible right, David, King David was a warrior. You didn't mess with him. And yet... He played for Saul. I'm sure he sang. God puts a new song in your heart. Now, I'm not fussing at you if you don't sing, but at least act like you care. I've seen corpses with more expression than some people have. At least they put a little smile on them most of the time. I can't believe I just said that. <laughs> you don't stand there frozen and mad. Some of you look like you were drugging the church. I'll be so glad when this is over. She brought me. I know you can do better. You know why? Because I've been to some football games with you. You have emotion. <laughs> Sometimes you point it at the ref. Sometimes you rejoice in a 62-yard field goal. And I'm sure you stood there like this when he kicked that field goal. You celebrate God, amen? Listen, hadn't he done something good for you? And the least you can do is at least mouth the words. Look at the words and mouth them when, you're, when we're singing. If you don't like to sing, I'm not going to fault you for that, but at least act like you care about what's being sung. In Christ alone, I stand. It's, we just got through singing. He rose again. He changed our life. He's our hope. We celebrate God. We celebrate and worship him. Vance Habner says too many churches start at 11 o'clock sharp and end at 12 o'clock dull. <laughs> if there ever was a real happy hour, it ought to be when we worship God. Amen. Doesn't have anything to do with drinking. That doesn't make you happy. It makes you stupid. Amen. At least when you leave here, there's no side effects or hangover. Yeah. It ought to be a place when you come, you know, Lord, I thank you for letting me be a part and, and celebrating you. It's our opportunity to express our love and adoration to God. But you know what? In order to do that, you have to know Jesus because you can come to church and not know him. 
How do you become a part of a church? You know what a church is? All a church is is a group of born-again, baptized believers. To be a member of the church, you have to know Jesus as your Savior. You committed your life to him. You have to have been scripturally baptized. Now, you know, I've gotten a letter or two from outsiders who claim to say that I don't think baptism is important. I've never said that. You've never heard me say that. I don't believe baptizing makes you a Christian. You're baptized because you've had faith in Jesus Christ. Not to have faith. You're not baptized into Christ. You come to Christ and you're baptized to show it. It's the first act of obedience. It is important. It's not optional. It's the first thing Jesus wants us to do. Profess me before men. It is the public profession of your faith. I follow you, Jesus. I'm not ashamed. I, I know you were buried, you died and were buried and rose again. My old way of life is gone. I have a new life in Christ. You do that by placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You're not baptized into Christ. And I can prove it with a scripture just like you try to proof text it the other way. But it's but it's not optional because if you've really been saved, you want to be baptized. They probably didn't hear today when I said that, those people who write me these letters. <laughs> Folks, there's no perfect church just forgiven sinners saved by the grace of God. May we always be a church that will uphold the word of God and hold a high view of scripture. We don't worship the Bible. We worship Jesus Christ, but we hold, I hold the view that every word of this is inspired by God. There's no mistakes in it. It's inerrant. It's God's word. It changes lives. And maybe always be a church that will care for one another. We have to work that much harder at it the larger we get. It frustrates me not to know everybody's name. I'm always embarrassed. It embarrasses me when I can't call somebody's name. It does. I hate it. But my hard drive only has so much capacity. And it's still real slow. <laughs> but I do know that if they get in a Sunday school class, Somebody's going to know their name. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, I thank you for creating the church. I thank you for the, the way that you've given us the example here in Acts chapter 2. But I pray for those today who don't know Jesus. Maybe they're on a church roll. They just don't know Jesus. I pray that you would show them their sin, that they could confess to you and be forgiven and come and give their life to you. And Lord, I pray that you would show them that being baptized is so important. It's really not an option. I pray that you'll continue to send people here. It's a little overwhelming at times, Lord, at how many could come, 10 or 15 in a week want to be a part of this congregation. And we thank you for them, but I pray that you would help. I help people get in a smaller group so that they will feel a part and they can be a part to help somebody else feel a part. 
I want us to take care of one another, Lord, and I'm afraid people fall and slip through the cracks and we don't even know it. But I pray for those that need Jesus today and I pray for those that maybe need a church home. There may be some that need to say, you know, I've been saved, but I've never been baptized and I'm going to do it because Jesus told me to. There may be something else, Lord, on their hearts, maybe some sin that needs to be confessed. I just ask you, you draw people to you in Jesus' name. Would you quietly stand? Would you keep your heads bowed for just a couple of minutes? There are pastors here at the front to receive you if you want to talk about knowing Jesus or being a member or being baptized or maybe just something else that you want them to pray for you. You come. They'll pray for you. Pray with you. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.